Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Do you want to join my non-diet community? If so, head on over to my website and join my Nourish newsletter at peacefullynourish.ca. It is a monthly dose of intuitive eating, body liberation, and satisfying food inspiration. Get exclusive offerings and discount codes right to your inbox. Plus, who does not love freebies? Also on my website is my free guide, Four Steps to Food and Body Freedom, which is a nine-page PDF to help you get started on this journey. Then, if you're into snacking, which who isn't, check out my Peds Family Counseling page and grab my ultimate snacking guide. Enjoy. Welcome back to Diet Culture Dropout. Today, I have a very special guest, Jenna Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited about today's topic. We're going to be talking about managing anxiety in kids. And I feel like this will resonate with a lot of listeners as this is, I perceive it as to be a common challenge for lots of families and kids. So hoping this will resonate with a lot of people and get some good kind of take home points from this. So before we get into that, Jenna, I was wondering if you can tell listeners a little bit more about who you are, where you're located and how you got into the work that you're doing on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Jenna. I was born and raised here in the Kortha Lakes. Growing up, my dad was a correctional officer. My mom was a child psychologist. So I actually have experience in both those fields. I've worked as a youth correctional officer and now as a psychometrist and psychoeducational consultant. I just recently opened up my own business called Growing Mind Support Services here in Lindsay. 
I provide children, youth, and families who are experiencing educational, behavioral, social, emotional, and mental health challenges with all types of different kinds of supports. Awesome. Yeah. I found her on one of the local mom groups and I was like, Ooh, we need to connect. I need to hear all about this. So thanks for being here. And next question I'd like to ask to all guests, just because it's a podcast and people can't physically see us or our perspectives and identities that we come from. So can you inform listeners of any identities or privileges you feel are relevant or helpful to share? Yeah. I love that you, you include this question. I identify as white cisgender, have an education privilege and access to safe, equitable healthcare. Awesome. Thank you so much. And because of the theme of the podcast is all about diet culture, exposing it, and just really bringing to life how it comes up in everybody's lives. Do you have an example that you feel comfortable sharing about how diet culture has come up for you recently? Yeah. So the first thing that came to mind for me, I'm just recently getting off of my first maternity leave and I am just blown away and constantly seeing social media marketing to postpartum moms with all sorts of new diet fads to shed the baby weight. And for me, that was really triggering that society has this expectation that, you know, after caring and providing for my child for the past 21 months, that my body Mm -hmm. is expected to look, you know, unchanged. And if it is changed, I must diet and exercise excessively to get back to that pre-baby look. So what's important to me is not just physical health, but mental health and self-care. As a parent, I've noticed that you tend to lose sight of yourself. So I try to make a strong effort to take time with my daughter, my partner, and myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's so, so common for so many moms to kind of experience that. And yeah, the marketing is so aggressive. And it's just like that expectation that like, I don't know where it came from, but your whole body and life will forever be changed. There's no way that you're going back to like kind of that old, old you type person. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So today we're going to be talking about helping your child manage anxiety. So do you maybe want to start us off with how anxiety may show up in a child? So if a parent has a kiddo with some of these symptoms, how they can kind of recognize it? Yeah, certainly. So there's a few different ways that anxiety may present. It can present as fears and worries, as well as anger, irritability, Anxiety symptoms can look different in every child. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they look like physical symptoms. So aggressive overreactions to mild problems. This could look like attacking, biting, crying, screaming. Sleep problems is a big one. So this could look like insomnia, bedwetting, nightmares. A decrease in appetite is something to look for. Complaints of headaches or stomach aches are very common. Some emotional or behavioral symptoms can also appear. So the inability to relax, seeing your child always looking jittery or on edge, developing a new fear or reappearance of past fears, always trying to be perfect or your child being afraid to make mistakes, being afraid to speak up in class. This is very common for students. Mm -hmm. Blanking out or freezing in social, social situations, irritable or moody behaviors, or the inability to control emotional responses, refusal to go to school or a friend or relative's home as there may be stressors located there. It's really important that parents can be aware of anxiety red flags in their children when they do not outgrow their fears and worries that are typical of younger children. 
Flags are raised when the worrying starts to interfere with their daily living at school, at home, during play. These types of worries can look like being afraid to be away from your parents, mm -hmm. having extreme fear about specific things or situations. So for example, a child being extremely fearful of dogs or maybe going to the dentist or doctor, being afraid of school and other places where there's a lot of people. Sometimes that looks like maybe your child's afraid to go to the mall because they know how many people are going to be there. Being worried about the future and bad things happening. And having repeated episodes of sudden unexpected fear that comes with that physical symptoms of heart pounding, trouble breathing, dizziness, shakiness, excessive sweating. Yeah. So really, there's a lot of things that can look like, but those are some things to be aware of. Yeah, I feel like that's so, so many ways kids can act and react and show up. So kind of the follow up question, what are some factors that would contribute to these like elevated stress states being, you know, in a dysregulated state for the child? So the exact cause of anxiety disorders has not been determined, but mm -hmm. the combination of genetic factors, internal and external factors play a very significant role. Some of the environmental factors could look like difficulty in school, both academically and socially. A big one is family stress, so spousal fights, separation, financial issues. Sometimes it's dealing with mental disorders in the caretakers. The impact of media is huge. It's very common for children to get anxious when they see things on TV, such as news of natural disasters, yeah. rising tensions in the world, especially now with our very young kids might also react to extreme violence, gore, horror in films and video games. And this can inflict an irrational fear of strange people, darkness. Having online lives too can lead to cyberbullying by peers or strangers. This is also known to cause severe emotional distress. And a big one is sensory sensitivities. So having heightened reactions to sound, touch, taste, smell. The children who are most at risk for experiencing stress are those who have serious changes in their daily routines or lives, sicknesses or injuries in either the child or a close family member, abandonment, loneliness, and neglect, experiencing physical, verbal, or emotional abuse, sexual assault, or humiliation. Yeah, so lots of stressors. Mm -hmm. And I bet too with... I don't know, just noticing from like when we were putting us in the same age group here, Jenna, <laughs> when we were growing up as kids, just till now, just the use of media and social media and phones, eh, like has just exploded. So I can just imagine how that's maybe a, a bigger factor more often for a lot of clients you're working with. Yeah. In my experience, a lot of it is video games and video games how too. realistic yes. some of these video games can be and how gory. Right. Uh, which, yeah, I don't remember having that when I was a kid. I was, I was yeah. playing Pac-Man and <laughs> yeah, Mario <laughs> racing cars. Yeah. Yeah. And then the genetic piece I find is really interesting as well too, because within the parents, the caregivers, how you show up obviously impacts, you know, how they perceive the world and their understanding of, of everything. Right. So, and yeah. just genetically being programmed, I think that's a big factor too. So sometimes it's hard for us adults to identify with that diagnosis of anxiety. So that's, uh, I think, a really good point to go back over and just kind of highlight. Just important to know that it, it's, you know, everybody has anxiety, but it's when it starts to interfere with your daily living is yes. when it becomes kind of that red flag. Yeah, of course. So how common is this diagnosis for kids? 
Is there like an average age of onset? Yeah. So prior to COVID-19, 15 to 20% experience at least one mental health disorder before they turn 19. Wow. Okay. Yeah. In 2009, 4% of youth aged 12 to 19 were diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. The rates are higher amongst First Nations and females. Only one in six people under 19 are actually properly diagnosed. So we know that this condition is severely underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. One in five children under the age of 12 receive adequate treatment. These stats are gathered from Anxiety Disorders Association of Ontario from a research study by Butler and Pang in 2014. But based on several studies, it appears that the rate of anxiety diagnosis in children have approximately doubled since the start of this pandemic. Right. So half of those individuals who will ever have an anxiety disorder will have it by 14 years of age and 75% will have it by the age of 19. That is just like a tsunami, eh? Yeah, a lot. I mean, we knew that the pandemic has definitely impacted our families, Mm -hmm. our kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. But to know that it's doubled is mind-blowing. Of course, yeah. And we're seeing that also in like the eating disorder diagnosis rates as well too. Just a whole tsunami from COVID impacts. Okay, so can you explain your role as a psychoeducation consultant in helping foster, you know, pediatric mental health care? Yeah, so families seek my supports when their child is struggling with educational, behavioral, social, emotional, and mental health challenges. My role is to help support, educate, and advocate for the child and their family. I do this by identifying the needs and challenges. I then create a program that is tailor-made to suit their needs. And I also provide a list of recommendations for the family and educators to utilize to best support that individual. Great. So it's like a personalized plan that is specific to that family that's catered to like their needs, desires, and what works for them. So what are your top tips then for families for helping their kiddos manage anxiety? So when working with children and their families and caregivers, the first step is education. So educating the individual, educating their family about it. As we know, anxiety is a necessary and adaptive part of living. It can alert us of danger, cause us to hesitate before taking a risk, Ultimately, anxiety can be protective. However, anxiety disorders occur when fears or worries become excessive and irrational and impairs their functioning in life. So it's important for us to understand that often anxiety occurs alongside other disorders such as ADHD, learning disabilities. Secondly, I like to gather information from the individual and their family, including prior assessments, school documentation, medical records. All this information helps me identify the triggers and past experiences that can be affecting the child's behavior. Thirdly, like I had mentioned, I create an intervention that targets the needs and challenges of the child. And I work towards implementing coping mechanisms and strategies to help the individual function better. Lastly, when the programming wraps up, like I mentioned, I like to supply the family with a list of recommendations. This helps better equip the parents, caregivers, educators, and teachers at school with helpful tips in navigating the individual challenges. So I think locally in the Kortha Lakes, this service is not existent. We have big, big deficit in our pediatric mental health. So what, I think it's pretty obvious what gap you are trying to fill locally, but Anything else that you've kind of noticed in starting your business? Yeah, so my mom actually runs a private practice here in Lindsay. 
She's a child psychologist practicing assessment and consultation. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with her as a psychometrist for just under two years. And we see the needs for supports pre-diagnosis and post-diagnosis. Some of our community agencies, such as Canark and Chimo, they have amazing resources. But unfortunately, there's just so many kiddos in need that the, the wait lists are just getting so lengthy. Mm-hmm. So I'm working towards providing services for families that are easily accessible, affordable, flexible, mm-hmm. and inclusive to all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So in summary, is there any other key points you want listeners to kind of take away for parents to help their kids manage their anxiety better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just being healthy and, you know, it's important for all children. It can be especially important for children with anxiety to get the right treatment and lead a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Here are some healthy behaviors that may help. So eating regularly, participating in physical activity each day, getting the recommended amount of sleep each night based on mm-hmm. age. And a big one that I like to preach is practicing mindfulness or relaxation techniques. Yes. It's so, so important for parents, caregivers, and educators to be on the lookout for these signs of anxiety in children. Because like I'd mentioned before, it's sadly untreated anxiety can lead to depression, missed opportunities in career and relationships, increased substance abuse, and decreased quality of life. So parents and mentors play an essential role in helping our children and teens manage anxiety. When coping skills and brave behavior is rewarded and practiced in the home, children and teens can then learn to you know, face their fears and take responsible risks and ultimately gain the confidence that they need. Mm-hmm. So they can have big, full, beautiful lives that's yeah. not limited. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. So in closing, what do you think is the most protective action someone can take to protect themselves from diet culture, Jenna? Yeah, this is, this is just something that I found works for me. It's just, you know, learning and accepting that you're going to have bad days. So also having those strategies to be able to cope with those bad days. Some of the strategies that I like to use include self-care, listing positive self-attributes, finding things to be thankful for, and ultimately just finding whatever works best for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's not all going to be rainbows and unicorns, right? (laughs) We have to have a game plan for those bad days. And they don't, they don't last forever, those bad days. And then what is another protective action? adults can take to kind of protect their kids from diet culture. Yeah. So even though my daughter is only a year old, I, mm-hmm. I challenge myself to consistently teach her and verbalize positive self-talk. So some things that you can say to your kids, just daily affirmations is, you know, I'm surrounded by love. Mm-hmm. My feelings matter. I can do anything. I am healthy. All of my challenges have solutions. I am in control of my choices. I'm learning every day and I love who I am. Amazing. I love those affirmations. That's just cueing me. I got these really good, they're like mindfulness affirmation cards I started doing with my daughter before bedtime. And they kind of just set you up for like a great conversation. So I will link those in the show notes. It's a local gal that made them. Forgetting the name right now but just such a great way to have conversations and just learn about like saying positive things to yourself because we are always taught, you know, the opposite, always kind of being more harsh and negative. So Jenna, where can listeners find you and learn more about the work that you're doing? 
Yeah, so I just got a website up and going. It's www.growing-minds.ca. I also have Instagram at Growing Minds Services. And then as well, a Facebook page, you can just search Growing Minds Support Services. Perfect. And I will link all yeah. those in the show notes for everyone. That's great. Awesome. So you can find her on all of the socials and she has beautiful Instagram curated feed. So you post there pretty regularly, right? <laughs> try. <laughs> try to. Yeah. All good. Great. Well, I really hope this episode resonates with a lot of parents and kiddos. So thank you so much for your time and expertise, Jenna. No, thank you for yours. It's very important what you're doing. And I'm so happy you invited me today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here.